Hi, my name is Christy Kramer, and this is Michigan Unsolved, the true crime podcast that is solely focusing on unsolved cases in Michigan. There is no case too small. My goal is to give victims of unsolved crimes the voice they deserve. Hello, my friends. Thank you for coming back. We are jumping right in to part two. I am literally posting these back to back because I didn't realize how much was here. (laughs) There's a lot. Um, So where we left off with part one was uh, Sarah had told her parents how concerned she was and her parents actually agreed. They suggested that, remember I said that Sarah worked midnights. So her parents suggested that Sarah leave early for work and swing by Danny's apartment to check on her. At approximately 6 p.m., I have not been able to verify this time, but I have I have seen at approximately 6 p.m., Sarah arrived at Danny's apartment. Like I said, Sarah worked midnight, so, so 6 p.m. would make sense because... Um, She was going right before work. So at approximately 6 p.m., Sarah arrived at Danny's apartment and found, here's the kicker, found Sarah's Jeep Renegade with the dirt on the doors. So there's no denying this was her car, was parked in her usual parking spot right outside the door to her apartment. You're you're talking like 8 to 10 feet away from her door. And she had a ground floor apartment. It was right like... I've looked at the pictures. Her door is right in front of her car. Sarah knocked on the door. She knocked on Danny's window. She yelled her name. She honked her horn. She even threw pebbles, like little rocks, at her windows trying to get her attention. And no response. So she's completely concerned and freaked at this point. Because this is her best friend. They've known each other for over 20 years. So Sarah decides to call Danny's sister who still lives with Danny's parents and um, to see if Danny's at her mom's house. And Danny's sister tells her, no, she's not here. So Sarah asks Danny's sister to have Anne, who is Danny's mom, call her, which she does. Um, Sarah talked to Anne and Rich Stislicky. And they immediately left their home, drove the 40 to 50 minutes west and I'm sorry, they drove the 40 to 50 minutes east and headed to Danny's apartment. They were like on their game because they knew how uncharacteristic this was of their daughter. They also contacted Danny's dad, Rich. They contacted his parents because I believe they lived closer to Danny and they actually had a spare key to her apartment. So once everybody arrived at the apartment, they made entry. To their knowledge, nothing was out of place. There was no evidence of a struggle. They didn't think anything had been stolen. Everything was locked up. There was nothing out of the ordinary. But Danny's cat, Adelaide, who I told you was like her baby. It was very obvious to Danny's family and to Sarah that Adelaide had not been fed. 
they were certain that Danny had not been there that day. They looked everywhere for Danny's car keys because they wanted to get into the Jeep and it was locked. They could see, they could not find the car keys. They would go back out to the Jeep and they see that Danny's work bag and her purse are in the front seat of the car. Very visible to anybody looking into her car. They were, I believe they were in the passenger seat. And Danny's mom testified in court that Danny was extremely cautious and she would not left her stuff out like that. So that was extremely concerning to them. The police were called, but they were not willing to help the family get, gain access to the car. Now, Ann Stislicki testified that the police essentially told her that if Danny's credit cards and her license and all that kind of stuff was in her purse, there would be a much greater sign that something uh, nefarious had happened. And then at that point, they would, you know, start an investigation. So what they did is they called AAA to get access to the car. And once they did, they directly went to the purse. They were able to find her spare keys in her glove box but not her main keys. And her purse contained her wallet with her driver's license, her credit cards, all that information. So it was quite, they were quite certain that something bad had happened. The police came back, um, the apartment and the Jeep were processed. And it was noted by the police that it appeared that the passenger door handle of the Jeep had been wiped clean. At that point, uh, Danny's toothbrush had been turned over to the Farmington Hills Police Department for DNA purposes. Now, we are going to jump to December 4th, 2016. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, uh, her family is just all over this. Even the Farmington Hills Police Department has stated that the support of the Sislicki family and their efforts to find their daughter was amazing. And I mean, God, if to to be part of a family that works as hard as they have to bring their daughter home, how amazing. Seriously, just truly, truly wonderful. So on December 4th, 2016, at 11.48 p.m., now we're going to come back to Mr. Galloway here, he walks into a, a bed, bath, and beyond and purchases a white comforter. This is verified by security footage as well as a receipt. They actually pulled his financials later on. They did not pull them on the 4th, but... Later on, they, they pulled his financials and they found that he made this purchase. So they went back to the security footage at that time and they see him actually purchase this white comforter. And it is determined that, that this purchase was made approximately 48 hours from the time that they believe Danny met her fate. Now, um, at this point, obviously, I mean, I haven't told you, but, you know, 
here we are, 2023, Danny has not been found. And the police do believe that she was um, a victim of foul play at the hands of Floyd Galloway Jr. Um, on December 6th, 2016, um, Brandon Williams and Debbie I am who was the other co-worker that both witnessed Floyd Galloway with uh, Danny on Friday. They gave their statements to the police. Once the police were aware that Danny was essentially last seen with Floyd Galloway prior to her disappearance, they went straight to the Galloway home to question him. Or DC, if he knew anything. I don't think at that point he was a suspect at all. He, they just needed to know, have you seen her? Um, he was not home. Nobody was home. If you remember from part one, um, Eileen Galloway, his wife, was in the hospital fighting cancer at that time. And this was in the evening. So Floyd was actually at work at American Axel in Rochester Hills. So police then go to American Axel and they interview, they, they ask Floyd some questions. They interview him, you know, very, uh, unofficially just asking a couple questions. He didn't need a lawyer. You know, he wasn't under arrest. He wasn't a suspect. He wasn't a purchase person of interest. He was just, they were just asking him questions. But they asked Floyd when the last time he spoke to Danny was. Now, remember, there were two eyewitnesses that saw him with her on the night of the second. Floyd tells the police that he last saw her four months ago, which would have been the time that he stopped working at MetLife. Like I said, police knew this was a lie. Two witnesses had come forward eyewitnesses that knew him, knew both of them. So there was not like a question. Um, police, I'm sorry. Uh, Floyd also told the police that he was working on December 2nd from three to 11, but yet again, he was caught in a lie when his job confirmed that he had called in on the first for the second. And he most definitely, in fact, did not work on the second. Police showed Floyd a missing flyer of Danny. And he stared at it and would not look at the police in the face. And they said that he appeared very shaky at that time. Then they asked Floyd if he had Danny's cell phone number. And he said no. And as I've already told you, they were able to prove from the text exchanges that he did, in fact, have her cell phone. Now, Danny was, for whatever reason, was a fan of burner phones. She did not, I, I, she did not, I don't know why she did this, but she was using, um, she kept the same number, but she, it was more of like a pay as you go type of thing. It look. it seems like. Um, she actually mentions burner phones at one point in one of the text messages. But so the tech, there was actually text exchanges between Danny and Floyd in April of 2016. But nobody knows what those text messages said because 
while the when they pull his cell phone records, they can see the outgoing text messages and the incoming text messages and the phone numbers they came from, but they cannot see the details of the text messages. Floyd had since deleted them from his phone. He had deleted all messages from Danny and her number from his phone. Whereas because they had never found Danny's phone, they could not tell what the text messages were about. But while Danny's family was cleaning out her parent out out her parents, I'm sorry, out her apartment after her disappearance, her mom actually found one of her old phones and she turned it over the, to the police. And that is how they were able to find the text exchanges from 2015 regarding the flowers and um, the drinking game on no- on October 30th, 2015, because Danny had that phone and they, I don't know if Floyd didn't know about that phone or what, but they were able to prove that he did in fact have her number. And I believe at one point there was a text that's where he actually put his name, like she, she asked who this was and he even said Floyd. I don't remember the date of that one, but there was one along those lines. So on December 2nd, 2016, Anne Stizlicki, Danny's mom, makes a plea on the TV, newspapers, the news stations. I plead as a family, as a mother, from the deepest of my heart, help us bring Danielle home. Now, at this point, if you were from the area, find Danny, the hashtag find Danny was everywhere. It was like viral on social media. I had it on my page. I would never would have thought all these years later I'd be covering this case. But yeah, it was hashtag find Danny. And if you search that today, you're going to find all kinds of information. And it's um, Danny, D-A-N-I. Like the people in her community, they were just like, you know, they need to find her. It just made no sense. So, <clears throat> excuse me, at that point, a search warrant was issued and executed for um, a search of the Galloway home at 2910 Oxford Road. I think they really realized with all the lies that he had told them the day before that, you know, there's something off here. One of the main things that was noted upon the search was that in the master bedroom, Next to the bed, there was a section of carpet. Now, it's not a big section, but it was a, I don't know the exact dimensions, but to me, it kind of maybe looked like an 8 by 8 or a 10 by 10 section. It was a small section, but it was a section of carpet that had been cut out and like a little piece of remnant had been stuck inside of the hole. It was a very quick job. It was shoddy work and it it's not difficult to find. If you Google it, you can very easily find the crime scene photos. Um, the forensic team came in with a agent called Blue Star. It's a rapid qualitative test that detects body fluids, serum, plasma, blood, and sperm. They, spray, they sprayed the entire bedroom um, and three spots illuminated. Directly next to the patched carpet, there was 
a and this is as i said the the spot that had been cut out was next to the bed so this is just a spot directly to the right of the cutout spot so between the cutout spot and the bed itself that illuminated and then the there were clothing items there was clothes on the floor in a pile on the floor and two items of clothing had body fluids on them one being a suit coat and one being suit pants any idea where that suit came from now, at that point, um, Eileen Galloway was still in the hospital and the white comforter that had been purchased on the 4th was on the master bed. Now, if you remember from part one, when Eileen sent Floyd a message about the trash, Friday morning, December 2nd, Friday morning was trash day. In the kitchen garbage were scraps of carpet. So that showed investigators that those scraps were put into the trash after Friday morning when the trash went out. So that would lead them to believe that that section of carpet had been cut out after Danny went missing or about the time that Danny went missing. DNA analysis was done of the area on the carpet that the blue star that the blue star hit on and it was found to contain Danny's DNA. During the as I mentioned the comforter was on the bed. Um, during the 2019 preliminary hearing, the defense asked the investigating detective why the com- why the comforter was relevant to the case. Um, the detective said, you know, the biggest thing is the timing. You know, I mean, that's a pretty big purchase to make. And just the timing of when it took place and all the other lies he told, I guess. But in my mind, me personally, what man, now, this may be so sexist and I'm sorry if I offend somebody, but as a woman, okay, the comforter on my bed is, I don't want to say special, but it's, it kind of plays into the theme of your room. And not many men are going to go out and just randomly buy a comforter without their wife's input. And, uh, you know, I, that's just me personally, but I did find that to be odd. Um, also, the Buick Regal was taken into con- custody as potential evidence. On December 9th, 2016, now this is where it gets interesting. Um, they had taken, on the 7th, they had taken Floyd's phone as well. Um, and he did have an iPad that he could use to search the internet or whatnot. On December 9th, 2016, a search was done on his iPad for the phrase, how to pass a polygraph. Now, at this point, Floyd had already hired an attorney. Um, and that attorney hired a private in, hired a, an investigator, not a private investigator, but an investigator. And that investigator brought in an independent polygraph operator to perform a polygraph on Floyd. After that polygraph, 
an anonymous tip was, and this tip is extremely important, but this tip came in and it led police to the Tim Hortons on Tending Grand River that we mentioned where he was seen on security footage. This was less than a mile. It was about three quarters of a mile from Danny's apartment. The security footage clearly shows Floyd using the phone at Tim Hortons. And this also led police to the Michigan Green Cab Company that took him to that apartment complex on Groden Street. Now, there was only one outgoing phone on the Tim Hortons line that evening. So it was very clear that the phone call that he made was the same Green Cab Company. The most direct route from Danielle's apartment to the Tim Hortons was searched. It was walked by detectives and other police officers. And during one of those walks, Danny's car keys was found and her Fitbit was found located near the entrance for M5, which was like a, um, I don't think it's really a highway, but it's a major road. So those were both found on December 9th. On December 10th, a candlelight vigil was held at the MetLife building in Southfield, where Danny was last seen. On December 19th, 2016, police officially state that they believe that Danielle Ann Stislicki is a victim of foul play. On January 12th, 2007, so about six weeks, five, six weeks after Danny went missing, a candlelight visual was held in Redford Township. This is the community that she graduated from and pretty much grew up there. Hundreds attended, remembering Danny and the Stislicki family from their many years of living there. The community made burgundy ribbons to wear and put up around the town. Local floor reported that the family chose the color burgundy because she had worn a burgundy dress to her brother's wedding and she looked beautiful in it. Family members said they hoped that the ribbons would be a conversation starter and could jog, could jog memories. So that's one thing that, like I was saying earlier about in episode one when I, or episode part one, when I mentioned the importance of sharing these because just anything, something may trigger a memory and that is so extremely important. On June 10th, 2017, a sexual assault happened in Allen Park, Michigan, and a composite sketch was released. Um, police did believe that there was a possibility that Floyd Galloway could be connected to that, but I don't believe anything ever came from that investigation. Um, at this point, I don't know the date of when this incident, not incident, but when this happened, but as... Livonia police who were investigating that September 4th, 2016 attempted sexual assault case were, what they would do is they would just randomly check, um, surrounding, uh, what do you call it? Surrounding, um, cities, open cases and things like that. And they came across a picture of Floyd Galloway. Let me tell you. These pictures could be identical. The composite sketch from the unnamed Livonia attempted sexual assault victim is almost identical to the photo they have of Floyd Galloway. And remember, 
they collected evidence. They collected DNA from that September 4th case. And they had Floyd's DNA from the search that they did to confirm and rule him out of the DNA found in the bedroom. The DNAs between the September 4th attempted sexual assault case and Floyd Galloway were a match. On June 27th, 2017, Floyd Galloway was officially named a person of interest in the disappearance of Daniel Stoslicki. He was also arrested for the attempted sexual assault of an unnamed Livonia woman on September 4th, 2016. On June 28th, 2017, the next day, Galloway was charged for the attempted sexual assault of an unnamed Livonia woman. After Floyd was arrested and charged in the September 4th case, Elizabeth Newton, who was the sister-in-law to Floyd Galloway, he, she was Eileen's sister, tells Channel 7 News, I wanted him to marry my sister. That's how likable he has been and how loved he has been. But I guess we never really know anyone, apparently. She also said that his, re his arrest reaffirms her belief that he did have something to do with Danny's disappearance. She said, I just keep asking the same question. Why isn't he saying anything? Why doesn't he speak? If he did something wrong, why doesn't he just own up to it? Now, from the, from the very beginning, from his original being questioned at, at American Axel, Floyd has refused to say anything regarding Danny's disappearance. Um, Elizabeth has been very vocal about her feelings, and this has actually caused a riff between her and her family outside of her mother um, her family would not speak to her they were all supporting Floyd um, and this included Eileen Floyd's wife um, and remember she was battling cancer and she was not speaking to her sister uh, Elizabeth stated uh, they're not ready to talk to me but that's okay I've got to be respectful of that denial is a very thick blanket and when it's ripped off it can kind of hurt like a band-aid then on July 19, 2017, police and FBI searched Heinz Park for evidence in Danny's case. The search contained 155 law enforcement officials, 14 canine units, cadaver dogs, and metal detectors. One of the items being searched was a brown and tan striped comforter, which was rumored to have been what was in the master bedroom at the Galloway home prior to December 2, 2016. The search was also for the clothes Danny was wearing and for Danny herself. July 20th, 2017, a warrant was issued for yet another search of the Galloway home, but this one was in regards to the Hines Park attempted sexual assault case. When police arrived at the home with the warrant, the house had been cleaned out. Police then left and headed to a house in Royal Oak because that is where Floyd and Eileen had been staying with Eileen's mother for the past few months. Now, I believe I read somewhere, I couldn't confirm this, but I did want to point out that I had read that shortly after the searches of the home began, they essentially began to move out and move in with Eileen's parents or her mother. When the police arrived, Floyd was not at the house. Uh, they asked Eileen for the items listed on the search warrant 
And even though police said that Eileen was pretty uncooperative, she did hand over the items to the officers. So that would have, that was uh, July 20th, 2017. I do not know the exact date, but in August of 2017, Eileen Galloway, the wife of Floyd Galloway, files for divorce. On November 21st, 2017, Floyd Galloway takes a plea deal in regards to the attempted sexual assault case of the Livonia woman. During this time in front of the judge, he actually recounted how he attempted to rape her. Um, you can actually hear him describe the incident. He had turned down multiple plea deals prior to this, and then he finally went ahead and took the plea deal. On December 8th, 2017, he was sentenced to 16 to 35 years in prison for the attempted rape. Then sadly, on January 20th, 2018, Eileen Galloway, the, at that point, ex-wife of Floyd Galloway, loses her battle with cancer. I do not know whether or not her and her sister had reconciled at that point. But I, I pray that they did. On March 5th, 2019, the Michigan Attorney General officially charges Floyd Galloway with first-degree premeditated murder in regards to Danielle Stislicki. The, uh, the medical examiner ended up issuing a death certificate because they, the family needed the death certificate in order to be able to access her like financial records and stuff like that. Because she had a lot of like recurring payments coming out and they were continuously coming out. So in order to handle her finances, they did have her declared dead and the death, the death certificate was issued based on um, the knowledge of the medical examiner. This medical examiner actually has like uncountless number. I mean, like he's, I can't even tell you, he said something like a thousand times a thousand cases he's testified on and been an expert witness. Um, he felt that Danny. Okay. It's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of, it's really kind of complicated how they figure this out, but there was no blood found in the Galloway home. They did find um, a small amount of purge fluids. So, one thing that the prosecutor had said were as when the carpet remnant was cut out, if her, not to be graphic, but if her face had been laying at that spot, let's say, let's say her face had been laying on that spot of carpet and blood did come out of her face or something, if he had hit her and her blood got on the carpet, he cuts that piece of carpet out but maybe saliva or tears or something had shot out and landed and that's where the blue star illuminated and that's where her DNA cells were. So he only cut out what the prosecutor believes is that there might have been blood on that tiny swatch of carpet and that's why he cut that out. But he did not think about the other areas that could have contained her saliva, mucus, something along those lines. So they do believe that she died. The, the cause of death is technically listed as asphyxiation because that is going to be 
the the most according to the medical examiner with his um knowledge and based off the evidence that they have he does believe that that's the most logical way that she was killed was asphyxiation via either suffocation or by um strangulation on march 6 2019 floyd is arraigned on first degree murder charges on september on september 9th 2016 the preliminary trial begins um, again, the medical examiner states that Danielle physically died from asphyxiation despite her body never being found. On September 10th, 2019, this was the conclusion of the preliminary hearing and Judge James Brady rules that there is overwhelming evidence and overwhelming probable cause to hold Floyd Galloway Jr. till trial for the first degree premeditated murder, premeditated murder of Danielle Stilzicki. The two-day preliminary hearing included 15 witnesses and 45 different exhibits. Um, you know, did I mention, I'm not even sure yet, did I mention the fact that Floyd was convicted? I believe, just, just to double check, if I didn't, December 8th, 2017, Floyd was sentenced to 16 to 35 years in prison for the attempted rape of the Livonia woman. So he is in prison. And I believe the first chance that he'll be able to get out is 2033. So let's go back to February 5th, um, 2021. Galloway's defense team goes to court to stop the September 4th attempted sexual assault case from being brought up as evidence at Danny's murder trial. The judge ruled that the September 4th attempted sexual assault on the unnamed Livonia woman could not be used as evidence in the murder trial of Danny because there was no striking similarity between the two crimes. However, the prosecution's case was that there was, in fact, striking similarities in both cases, enough to demonstrate a common scheme, plan, or system. According to court documents, both the September 4th victim and Danny have similar physical appearances. The assault on the September 4th victim did not cause the emission of much body fluid, the same as Danny, and the attempt to isolate the victims were the same in both. But again, the judge did not agree and ruled in favor of the defense. And I also have seen some reports that this may actually be a good thing because leaving it out will avoid any chance of calling the September 4th prejudicial and possibly causing a mistrial or an appeal. On June 23rd and June 24th of 2022, a judge hears testimony from both sides on whether or not to throw out evidence related to the December 2016 independent polygraph. And the judge ruled that an evidentiary hearing is needed. November 2022, an evidentiary hearing is held to review the evidence related to the polygraph. And this is kind of where things go from bad to worse. And I'm going to, it's, man, this is rough. Um, November 17th, 2022, an Oakland County judge has ruled to suppress evidence in the Danielle Stizlicki case. Now let's go back to December 6th. 
2016. Remember I told you in part one that uh, Floyd's lawyer had hired an investigator who brought in an independent polygraph operator to perform a polygraph on Floyd Galloway. The polygraph operator was a former FBI agent named, he was a former FBI agent named George, I'm sorry, wow, I cannot talk today, former FBI agent named James Hoppy, according to the Oakland Press. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you, okay, this, the Oakland Press is the only point that I've seen this reported. Um, everything else states that things that were said during the polygraph were disturbing. However, the Oakland Press, and this is why I'm going to say this, the Oakland Press states that Galloway allegedly admitted to the murder, stating that Danny's body was then wrapped in a brown and tan comforter. He revealed what he had done with her keys and her Fitbit and her phone and provided details about a taxi cab, taxi cab ride he took afterwards. Now, going back to being disturbed, uh, Mr. Hoppy was so disturbed by what he heard that he told his personal friend, Gary Mayer, who was the chief of police in Troy, Michigan at the time. Gary Mayer then contacted Charles Nebus, who was the Farmington Hills police chief, and he was the one in charge of Danielle's investigation. Now, Chief Nebus then took it upon himself to fill out an anonymous tip sheet with the information that had been provided to him and provided it to his officers. The information then led Farmington Hills police to Danny's missing keys, her Fitbit, and the Tim Hortons, where they were able to obtain the security footage. It is also believed that Floyd threw Danny's phone in the trash at the Tim Hortons, but unfortunately, it was never found. And also, unfortunately, the judge ruled that Galloway's right to due process was violated, and the exchange of information was a violation of attorney-client privilege. So... The list of suppressed evidence was the location of the keys and the Fitbit, any forensic data taken from the phones that was retrieved in relation to the information that was provided, security footage and the phone records from the Tim Hortons, testimony from the Tim Hortons employees who saw and spoke to Floyd Galloway, security footage from the gas station near the Tim Hortons, and testimony from the cab driver. Most of these things are what were able to dictate the premeditated portion of the case. It's the, the Attorney General's office, who is who is prosecuting the case do believe that they can they still have a strong case. It's a circumstantial case, but they do believe they have a strong case. Um I personally after listening to all the evidence presented, I think it could be tough, it could be hard. Um 
I really don't know which way it'll go. Um, March 28th, 2023, the trial of Floyd Galloway was scheduled to start, but as of yet, it has not. And I have not been able to find any updates at this time as to when the trial will actually take place. And trust me, I will be watching this and waiting for a verdict with bated breath. Throughout the course of the investigation, over 70 search warrants, I've seen some say 74, I've seen others say 77, but over 70 warrants were issued in the course of the investigation and over 300 items were taken into evidence. The number of search warrants is the most search warrants ever issued in a Farmington Hills investigation. Unfortunately, that is all we have. There's no other information. We still do not know where this beautiful girl is. Um, a girl that would help anyone. A girl that literally thought a friend of hers was having car trouble and she stopped to help. Probably what the speculation is, is that she was going to give him a ride home. Um, you know, we don't know if, you know, we don't know if he pulled a weapon on her. We, we don't know. Um, but because... Like her father said, she would help anyone if they needed it. I honestly think there's a good possibility that she was just going to give him a ride home. It's it's extremely sad. Um, but there is no doubt in my mind that this was premeditated. I mean, this was planned out. And the fact that it was done while his wife was in the hospital fighting for her own life. And it was probably done in their own bedroom. It's pretty bad. So, um, I do hope to one day give you an update. Um, when I do hear about when the trial will actually start, I will put that information in another case and just kind of let you know and give you an update. So make sure you stay tuned. But again, let me remind you the importance of sharing these cases. I gave you a lot of detail, a lot of times, a lot of dates, but, um, Dan, like I said, Danny's car, I believe was a 2015 Jeep Renegade with a lot of dirt. It was a dark blue, like a Navy blue, dark blue with a lot of dirt on the side of the driver's side and the passenger side. Um, Floyd had the Buick Regal. Danny, let me pull up what she was wearing one more time. Uh, Danny was last seen wearing blue jeans, a black zip-up shirt, a blue Eddie Bauer coat, and burgundy boots. And they are also looking for a tan, brown, beige, striped comforter. So, just please, if, share, 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 share. Um, search, find, hashtag, find Danny. Um, F-A-I-N- I'm sorry. Jeez, I really cannot talk today. F-I-N-D-D-A-N-I is the hashtag. And the Facebook group is actually Justice for Danielle Stizlicky. Uh, Stizlicky is S-T-I-S-L-I-C-K-I. Remember, Danny was only 28 at the time of her disappearance. Um, the most beautiful smile you've ever seen. Just absolutely gorgeous. A pure, a pure warm heart that, um, 
has been taken from this world way too soon at the hands of somebody who was supposed to be her friend. So, um, with that, um, I would like to thank, uh, the Stizlicky family. Um, wow. You guys absolutely amazing. The, the work that you've just, my heart goes out to you guys. Seriously. Um, you obviously, obviously, obviously love your daughter more than your own. And I, I, I can't even tell you, um, my heart goes out to you and I do pray that you guys get, um, get the justice for Danielle, um, to the local news stations, uh, channel two, channel four, channel seven, Oakland press, M live, um, your guys's coverage. Wonderful. Um, Facebook live videos that, uh, channel seven, channel two and channel four posted, um, in 2019 for the preliminary hearings. Thank you so much for that because I was able to get all the majority of my information from watching your live videos. And I think that that's extremely important to recognize that we are allowed to do that because the, in this, think about it. In this particular case, nobody is going to hear most of this evidence when it comes to the actual trial because it's been suppressed. So when this goes in front of a jury, most of this evidence will not be heard. And that is why I felt that this was so important to tell it today because this is, this, these are key. I mean, freaking, come on now. He couldn't, oh, he confessed. We know he did it. We know he did it. But you know, there is law. I get it. I mean, I'm torn. I understand the law. I get the law. It makes me angry, but you know, whatever. I mean, I think when you kill somebody, your, your attorney client privilege kind of goes out the window, you know, screw your right to due process. <laughs> you killed somebody. Um, when you steal somebody's life, screw you. Honestly, I mean, I'm going to let my inner bitch come out again. Screw you. You don't, you kind of, when you, when you take another life, you pretty much waive your rights. You don't matter to me anymore. So, um, okay. Uh, until next week, uh, this is Michigan Unsolved. Goodbye, friends. <laughs>